When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Ho, ho, ho. How are you? It's a reference to the Christmas, a Christmas story. Oh, thank you for that. I'm good. How are you? Okay. I read a headline that I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. I'll share it now. (laughs) Billy Porter and his estranged hubby are fighting over their cockapoo. So Billy Porter was married to someone named Adam Smith, and they are in the middle of divorce proceedings. Uh Uh-huh. So on November 15th, Porter's lawyer said that Smith blocked access to the cockapoo, which is a dog. I know. (laughs) While the actor claimed that Smith took me off as being the father and changed the dog's name. (laughs) Oh, that's that. Well, that's strange to do that. For seven months, this dog has been with my client and not one request has come asking for time with him. As long as he can promise that he's not doing drugs, that he's not having parties, he can have access to the dog. Who's saying that? Billy Porter? Or the the partner? The partner. Ooh. And then, of course, Porter is re- responding by saying, you will not scandalize my name like that. But everyone should be glad to know that they've come to a tentative agreement in which Porter would be allowed daytime visits with the dog. But it remains unknown whether the pair had come up with an official schedule. You know, there's a a movie that Billy Porter started in this year uh, where he's fighting with Luke Evans for uh, uh, the rights to hit their child. (laughs) This shit is embarrassing. I would file this under, like, mm -mm -mm. (laughs) mm-mm-mm. Because... (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I, it also made me laugh because he made headlines a few months ago during the strike because he was saying that he can't afford to like buy a new house. And yeah, I vaguely remember that. Because too. he's not working and that he was supposed to be on a series. And then because that income is no longer available, he's having some issues, which is very real. And that's not funny. But then, um, you know. This shit with the dog to me is embarrassing. Like, especially if I were a notable person, you can keep that. You can keep that dog. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna have it on record that we're fighting because now it's like the the insinuation that he um, does drugs and uh-huh. parties and, and puts the dog in harm's and way. Puts the dog in harm's way is like really. Mm-mm. Yeah, that is embarrassing. Uh, but also, you know, as, as all of these things are. It's more than just about the dog. Well, I mean, they're getting divorced for a reason. Right. So th- this is where the pettiness sets in. Well, and I always say, I mean, it's a shame. Like all the, every episode of Dateline where a spouse kills, uh, where someone kills their spouse, it's always because it's not easy to dissolve a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy. Like 
and like no in the history of the world no one has ever taken a breakup well you know what i mean like it just well like the song say breaking up is hard to do oh but anyway moving on to something else uh i received a lot of like dms about and people tagged me in the picture of beyonce from the renaissance premiere Mm -hmm. uh, where she's wearing the silver dress with the platinum blonde hair and then there were all these um like people on social media were saying that basically basically questioning like is she lightening her skin and that like even people message me about it asking like like kind of saying like why is she doing this and i think it's silly for so many reasons and then tina knowles beyonce's mom responded um to this uh, this image going viral and she said she does a film called the renaissance where the whole theme is silver with silver hair a silver carpet and suggested silver attire and you bozos decide that she's trying to be a white woman and is bleaching her skin um and then she proceeded to post like a slideshow of pictures of beyonce uh with the song brown skin girl playing over it mm-hmm. i i agree it's it's stupid it's idiotic it's ignorant because well, first off, I've met Beyonce in person three times, like on three different occasions. And she's a very fair-skinned woman. Mm-hmm. She's like my sister's skin tone, mm-hmm. who is markedly lighter than I am. So I am I have a markedly deeper skin tone than Beyonce. And if you look, even if you look at, like, if you go to our YouTube channel and look at all our shorts, because then you'll get like a close-up of me. If you just scroll through those, my skin tone varies wildly depending on the lighting. Mm-hmm. Like if we're, sh- you know, we shoot in our office with the green screen and we have the same light set up that I don't really know how to use. So it's kind of always the same, but then sometimes we record during the day. Sometimes we record at night. Sometimes I forget to turn on an overhead light. My skin tone changes dramatically. I mean, I was flipping through the shorts and in some stills like thumbnails my skin looks pasty like pale because it was just bad lighting and maybe i played with the exposure on the camera and didn't do a good job and it's all about lighting and i think for any person with any melanin in their skin to not understand that it seems kind of weird in 2023 because you're probably most likely on instagram and you probably take selfies and if you scroll through your selfies you'll see that your skin tone changes dramatically just depending on the lighting now having platinum blonde hair in a reflective lighter colored outfit does probably make her skin look brighter but that lady is not bleaching her skin she is a very fair-skinned person i think that those kind of concerns uh for beyonce uh would reflect more upon the people that are making those kind of assumptions or charges also, I would argue, and I, I I don't usually, I mean, I've used this phrase before and sometimes it's okay, but you know how people will say things are like unapologetically black, but I think Beyonce is, 
I, I mean, I, I think she's clearly demonstrated that she's a proud black woman. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, Stacey Dash. <laughs> she showcases all skin tones. Like, I don't think that, I, I don't know how anyone would question, like, oh, she wants to be a white woman. But I also think, you know, do I like the blonde hair? No, I think it looks ridiculous. I, I don't like that blonde hair on her. But Beyonce's natural hair color, she's like a medium to light brown. She does not have dark hair like I do. Well, you know, RuPaul said there's a shade of blonde that fits everyone. Sure, and she can be blonde, <laughs> but I think if you think about the fact that Beyonce is not um, like a dark brunette naturally. She's mm-hmm. a lighter brown. But you know how, and that's why I think Tina Knowles felt like she needed to respond is for someone like Beyonce, who's, I, who, whose body of work I'm very familiar with and uh, is is unapologetically black, how upsetting like this kind of shit i have to periodically deal with well the reason i brought up her hair is because comment you know people then want to comment like she's always wearing blonde hair and it's like well beyonce's not a dark brunette naturally so it would be it is quite easy to lighten hair like hers to be blonde we all know that she doesn't show her natural hair but where, where does it say that she has to have a certain hair color Right. Well, I don't think that she should not be allowed to wear whatever color she wants to wear. We but should... I also think that there are white women out here who are naturally darker brunettes and they have blonde hair and no one questions that because they're white. But Beyonce, her the hair that grows out of her head is lighter than a lot of these white women who bleach their hair blonde. So, I mean, you could argue that Beyonce having blonde hair makes more sense than mm-hmm. <laughs> because she can achieve those colors more easily than a white woman with deep brunette hair. Yeah. But Beyonce is a billionaire who can afford to have all the best wigs and all the best people installing these wigs and hair pieces and doing her hair. So her hair always looks great nowadays, not when Tina, ma- uh, Mama Tina was Well, doing. you know, they had they did what they could. They did what they could. But now her hair, it's always laid. It always looks great. If she wants to be blonde, she can be blonde. Did, did I like how she looked at the Renaissance premiere? No. And when people started sending me the image. I thought that it was a wax figure. It, it just looked crazy to me, but not because I think she looked, because I understand how lighting works. I don't understand how lighting works to make our videos look better, but I understand that lighting does the mechanism of, <laughs> yeah. Like I understand that with my own skin tone, it varies wildly. If you look at thumbnails from our live videos in the shorts, like I look darker or when we do the zoom calls sometimes and I have the ring light and it's set to yellow, the ring light that I use at my desk um, comes in, like, it alternates between white, yellow, and blue. So when I do the blue... Are you going to say high yellow? No. <laughs> so when I do the blue, it cancels out orange tones. And my skin has a lot of yellow and orange in it. So then I look kind of, like, ashy and pasty. Mm-hmm. And then if I had the window open and there's a lot of sunlight on me, I look quite pale for me. Versus if we're in the kitchen... The, the overhead lights are quite warm and all of our furniture is warm. So it reflects off that. And then if I set it to yellow, which I usually do on Saturdays, then my skin tone looks more caramel and warm. Like it's just lighting that I don't know. Life is, I feel bad that she's getting that. Cause be, I mean, Beyonce of all people, I, I think has celebrated who she is right m- more than a lot of, people and she's also showcased herself in a way that seems more self-aware and mm-hmm. has done more for the community than a lot of people who uh, <laughs> y'all want to celebrate life whatever. is short life is hard let fucking people dress up 
and how they want to. God damn it. Who cares if she has blonde hair? <laughs> who cares? Beyonce is not bleaching her skin. She she certainly wears body makeup. And of course, like like all of your faves do, they have a full face of drag queen makeup. They oh, all, yeah. They're, they're all contouring. They have highlight, you know, highlighting, low lighting their uh, makeup. And if you're wearing body makeup, which Beyonce was wearing a sleeveless, strapless gown, she probably did have full body makeup. So it all has to match. You're and then right. when and then all of this makeup, all of these powders and primers are made to reflect uh, for HD cameras. So a lot of times when people say my skin looks nice, well, because I'm wearing HD primer and translucent powder, and then I have a light in front of me. So and- my skin looks perfectly smooth. And so if she's doing that for her entire body, when the light reflects, it's going to look brighter. How de- that, that, that's all it is. How depressing that this is the viral headline from this movie that she's co-directed. <laughs> yeah, and then to think that she has completed this leg of a super successful tour as a black woman and her own production company has released this film that will certainly make a lot of money. And then, yeah, it's like all the attention is going to her skin tone. But even the movie we did yesterday, um, Ms. Scrooge, Mm-hmm. That was in it, you know. Cicely Tyson has a very deep skin tone, mm-hmm. and the lighting in that film was horrible. And there were times when she looked like she had a five o'clock shadow. There were times when literally all you could see were her eyes because she was wearing like white yeah. hat and dress. It's like it's lighting, yeah, that's and a, it works both ways. There that, are people with deeper skin tones who they may, and anyone with deeper skin tones knows that. They all know that you are not going to take a picture of me at the club with bad lighting because I'm just going to look like two eyes and teeth. So let's reverse that and realize that people with fair skin tones can easily look much paler. I think we were joking at a moment in Ms. Scrooge where she's in the gymnasium looking down on the two light-skinned ladies. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, and that lighting was horrible. Anyway, moving on to the restaurant section. Oh, there's a gay bar in West Hollywood called High Tops. It's a chain. Well, I didn't. The first one's. Yeah, yeah. West I, Hollywood. I think there's the one in one. San Diego, maybe. Yeah, there's more than one. But one just opened up in Los Feliz, which is closer to our house. And a friend of ours was saying that they have the best chicken sandwiches, like fried chicken sandwiches. And he's not the first person to say that. So we were like, well, we have to go try these chicken sandwiches. So we went last night. What did you think of their chicken sandwiches at High Tops, the gay bar in Los Feliz? It was good. I, I liked it. I would take it home to eat it next time. <laughs> I, I would say that's one of the better chicken sandwiches I've had in a long time. I also think Pop, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Again, I like Popeye's, yeah. Y'all need to not forget that. <laughs> Plus, you get that little that one little stingy packet of sweet heat. And the two little crazy pickles. But Re- remember when they did the Megan the Stallion uh, sauce at Popeyes, and we went in, and that poor little employee's like, "It's just, it's just our sauce." <laughs> she was so tired of answering questions. <laughs> I was about- like, "Oh, I was like, can I have some of that Megan the Stallion sauce?" And they're like, "It's just our sauce." Yeah, they were over it. <laughs> but what is the secret to a great fried chicken sandwich? Um, well, my, I myself make a pretty damn good po' boy, I think. But, uh, yeah, you have to, there's ways to look up to cook the chicken. Uh, if you're making it at home, I suggest brining your chicken first and tenderizing. So that's it. Like it starts with the chicken. You, mm-hmm. you have made, um, fried chicken po' boys before and they were excellent because the chicken. Yeah. It's, it's the texture of the chicken it's the texture yeah. because we've gone places where they just like, 
the most hormone-filled chicken breast that's like four inches thick. Bulbous. Yeah, you can Bulbous can't. chicken breast that they just bread and fry with no seasoning, no flavor, and then just slap it on a bun. And oh. it's like, well, this chicken's gross to bite into. It's too thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no flavor then usually in most cases with that. Popeye's is, you know, the, the clearly the meat has been seasoned, tenderized, and then the cut of chicken is not too thick. So you can actually like bite through the sandwich mm-hmm. and get all. And in that case, it's just whatever little sauce and pickle you get. It's succulent. But the one at High Tops, um, it had like an aioli and it had coleslaw, mm-hmm. which the coleslaw was very wet, which I think helped a lot. And the, then the bun. The bun was good. Like a brioche bun that was toasted. They clearly put some butter on it. There was some seasoning. I was very surprised because. Oh, well, after two uh, wildly exaggerated port- reports about uh, how good they were, I, w- I wasn't surprised. Even the fr- well, I was su- well, true. Yeah, you, you two got, people, and one the- of whom's quite picky, who's actually a very good cook. Yes. I, so I should have known that he wouldn't just say you, it. You like those shoestring fries? They weren't. I wouldn't call those shoestring fries. They were oh. a little thinner than they were the. They were a little thinner than McDonald's McDonald's fries. So that isn't ideal. But they were very well seasoned. Although this is the kind of place where they give you that one little tiny ramekin of ketchup. Yeah, no, no, that's not enough. No, three would have barely been enough, but one was not enough. Thankfully, they were well seasoned, so it was easy to eat. Mm-hmm. And it was only fifteen dollars for the sandwich and the fries. Because we go places where it's like $25 yeah, the price for the was, sandwich, the price, and you don't even get fries. The price was reasonable, but also reflects the ambiance that I have to chow down in, which is a, I don't know why, a, sports, a gay sports bar where they have blaring music. So this bar is set up like a bar and grill. It's all... It's a restaurant. It's it all looks, high tops, like the high top tables, yeah. hence the name, I guess. There is no dance floor. It has a full kitchen, it has a one bar, and then they have a stand where you order food, but it looks like any bar and grill you walk past. There are flat screen TVs everywhere playing sports, but they are playing gay dance music Mm -hmm. at full volume, as if we were in a nightclub Uh at like dinner time, or at, because I drove by once during like Sunday brunch, the music was loud as hell. Mm -hmm. That's not ideal to have a meal. No, it's kind of jarring. And their menu isn't like simple bar food. I mean, it, it's pretty yeah, it's, it's extensive like with appetizers, salads, sandwiches, burgers. There's a lot to choose from. I just don't understand the logic of having it be so loud. Why not wait until like after dinner or something? Like at 10 o'clock, then the music gets loud. Um, yeah, yeah, and I didn't really ever like high tops as a bar itself because it's just a bunch of people standing around in one place because when it's busy you can't move around so then it's you're stuck and then the servers have are these you know fit young men wearing singlets picking up my leftovers like uh i mean i'm sure people like that i didn't give a damn the kid didn't say shit to me so no i don't need that like <laughs> but so the the service wasn't great but you know i mean i guess people like that anyhow moving on to films released oh, we didn't you, cover you didn't talk about a chicken sandwich we ate the night before in your what? restaurant section it mixed 
Oh, well, that wasn't really. I mean, mixed well, I've is, never been there. I don't know. Oh, well, well, yeah, we did try mixed. Well, you tried mixed for the first time, M-I-X-T. But so mixed is kind of like tender greens. But more extensively salads, really. And it's of course, really, I got the chicken sandwich. We only went because it's located in like that where like Los Feliz and Echo Park meet. Uh, where there are a lot of cool places to go and zero parking. Yeah, yeah. But Mixed has a parking lot. And they have security because there's like an art gallery. There are like two art galleries nearby and, and some nightclubs. So yeah. people try to park there. So the only reason we went there is because I saw like open parking spots. <laughs> but we ordered. Oh, we should talk about it because that when we walk in, it, they looked closed. They did. And the kid kind of mumbled mm-hmm. whatever he was saying and i thought he said oh the the kitchen's closed and he goes no 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 i'm saying we like it'll take a while to toast the bread it was so off from what he said so we see him put our bread in the toaster mm-hmm. and he's like it's gonna take a few minutes so we sit down and get our food and when we get our chicken sandwiches that bread tasted like it had come out of the refrigerator it was not warm yeah that was odd it was so i wonder if he put them in the toaster but the toaster wasn't plugged in i don't know the food was good yeah yeah i I was happy enough i would eat there again yeah the food was good and probably my favorite thing is we had they had like carrot juice with like turmeric turmeric and the kid who gave it to us was like well i don't like it so do you want to try too sweet and we we sampled it and i did like it but I would definitely go back and oh, order the same thing. And deep fried cauliflower. Because if you deep fry, so you see all these overweight vegans, like <laughs> deep well, fry anything. Hey, I mean, I would say I'll, fry, I'll eat fried toenails if you season them right. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can fry anything. But anyway, movies released we didn't cover. So, of course, uh, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, came out. Co-directed by herself and Mark Ritchie and James B. Merriman. And, and like the Taylor Swift eras, blah, 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 uh, this was not screened for press. So we were going to see it this weekend, but it was just proving chaotic. Yeah, because every showing at a theater I would want to go to if I have to pay was sold out. And I figured it would just be annoying with that busy crowd. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, to review it doesn't really make sense. Cause I agree. Yeah. Of course, it's going to be great. Like, if you like Beyonce, and of course, the music and the visuals are going to be great. So I didn't want to... I would like to see it in a theater. We can probably see it this week. So maybe when things slow down, I can go. Next, Teddy's Christmas. Uh, directed by Andrea Eckerborn. Uh, it's a, about teddy bears and the Christmas. That's something I probably won't ever watch. Next, Animal. Uh, this is in piece of Indian cinema. It's a father-son drama directed by Sandeep Reddy Venga. Mm. Candy Cane Lane. Uh, I, I probably will watch this, if not today, sometime this week, with Eddie Murphy and Tracy Ellis Ross. It is directed by Reginald Hudlin, who did House Party and Boomerang and a lot of really great uh, 90s uh, black films. How I Learned to Fly. Uh, this is about two teen brothers who I think their parents die and they're left home alone or something like that directed by simon Sturey. oh i can't la syndicaliste uh it's actually the sitting duck is the english language translation and i was hoping you would have agreed to review this but uh it's a new isabella pair film uh from that she uh worked with her mama weed director jean-paul salome again i actually reviewed this out of the venice film festival in 2022 and kino lorber is just re- 
releasing it now. Um, but we will be reviewing the new Isabel film, The Crime is Mine, which opens later this month. Piano Forte? Uh, it's a documentary by Jakub Pietek um, about an international Chopin piano competition and the children entering it. Raging Grace. <clears throat> Uh, this is about an undocumented Filipina immigrant um, and trying to, I guess, secure a better life for herself, uh, working for a terminal old man, directed by Paris Zarcila. Zarcia? Oh, next. Shada? I think this is Australia's submission for Best International Film, directed by Noura Niasari. Uh, and it's about a young Iranian mother and her six-year-old daughter finding refuge in uh, an Australian women's shelter. The Sweet East. I saw this at Cannes this past year in Director's Fortnight. It's, I, I think it's the debut of cinematographer Sean Price Williams, and it's starring Talia Ryder, who is one of the co-stars of Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, who I think coming stepping out on her own as a lead was a little bit dull. But it's about this young woman who goes to visit a college campus and then leaves the tour and become, goes on a really weird little adventure. Lastly, Tropic. This sounded interesting. It's about a pair of twins, and one of them is contaminated by space residue. I think it's a thriller directed by Edouard Salier. Oh. Moving on to projects of interest, uh, something called Baby Girl. Yeah. Uh, you remember Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Yes. That director, Halina Rain is directing a new project for A24. It's described as an erotic thriller. And I think Nicole Kidman is cast as some high-powered CEO who has a relationship with a young intern played by Harris Dickinson. Oh. And Antonio Banderas is her husband. Oh. So that's a great cast. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break. Movies we watched for fun. The Naked Gun 2 and a half. Uh-huh. I think you straight up fell asleep during it, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think the first hour, 45 minutes is pretty good. And then it actually has a plot. Well, they all do um, about the president uh, trying to is some man is trying to convince him to use clean energy and the people that uh, don't want that to happen, abduct him and have a doppelganger. Uh, well, we recently watched the first and the third one, and I remember those feeling a lot more like energetic and fun. Yeah, this one felt a little more serious. Yeah, actually, the, uh, like straight out the gate. So, although I did appreciate all he keeps um, uh, beating up Barbara Bush by accident. Well, that's the opening, which is funny, and the end, and the end. But I did want to say this is oh, what's her name, Priscilla Presley. Mm -hmm. I find her interesting because I think she's a good example of someone who's famous because she was married to someone famous. Yeah. And like, she's a nice looking lady, uh -huh. but I don't think she's like anything special, especially in the first one with blonde hair. She just looks like any old white lady to me with blonde hair. And then in the second one, she has her signature red hair mm -hmm. that I think she's had ever since. And I, yeah, I, I just find celebrities like her so interesting. She doesn't seem to be, I don't know what her talent is because it's not acting. I don't think she's a, even a good actor. She seems sweet, but uh, yeah. She, to me, she's on the level of like Anna Nicole Smith acting wise. Oh like she's not, she's one of those people in the 80s who's like, oh, this is a famous person and they're in this thing. Mm -hmm. Like 
Okay. I haven't seen, I don't watch American Horror Story, but I know Kim Kardashian is in it. And it's kind of like that. Like, well, you're not, you're not an actor. Right. And I'm being forced to. <laughs> not that people who aren't can't be good actors, but I, every time I see Priscilla Presley, it's like, oh, you're just famous for that and like doing stuff to your face. Yeah. But I, she doesn't offend me at all. I think. I thought she was boring uh, in all the movies, but the first and the third are funnier. Yeah, I agree. You watched The Road? Uh, this won the Cannes Film Festival in 1982, a Turkish film by Yilmaz Guni and Serif Gorin, one of whom I believe was still imprisoned while they were making this. But it's the story of five different men that are given kind of a work release at, or at, from prison to go visit their respective families and all of the significant drama that each of these uh, <laughs> their little segments have. Uh, and of course, it was denounced by the Turkish government because this is after a coup d'etat in, I think, 1980. And I th- only more recently has it been allowed to be watched in that country. <laughs> but, oh. uh, th- yeah, it was just something I've that's been on my radar for a long time to see. And it was worth seeing. You rewatched uh, The Color Purple in preparation for the new one, which we saw last week. Mm-hmm. How was The Color Purple, the 1985 uh, film for you upon a rewatch? Well, I've been dragging my feet to rewatch it, and you didn't want to rewatch it with me, which is completely understandable. Uh, I mean, just sat with a bottle of wine and every now and then had to hit pause and get up and take a break. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, it's exceptionally well-performed. And to be clear, because when you, you mentioned that on a live I think a month or two ago about mm-hmm. me not wanting to watch the color purple. And then I got comments about like how like it's an important part of the culture and history and I should watch it. Well, you've seen it before to be clear. I've seen the color purple many times. I saw it in the eighties as a kid and it was affecting in a way that <laughs> it's just very hard to sit with. And I'm, and I know the story and I had seen the Broadway musical, the color purple twice on Broadway. So I'm very familiar with the story. I just, yeah, it's just, and it's a very good movie. I just, it's just a hard uh, story to revisit. It's like, well, okay, ruin my Monday night. Yeah, uh, there's never a good time. There's to never watch a good it. time to watch it. Um, but, but it, you know, it is so good. And it, it, you know, Whoopi and Oprah, both first films and Oscar nominated and lost to, you know, I think, God, Whoopi lost to, I think, Geraldine Page for the trip to Bountiful, who was a very old woman by then. And, you know, really the Academy should have awarded Geraldine Page before that movie. Uh, and then Oprah lost to Angelica Houston for Pritzi's Honor. And arguably, I think both Whoopi and Oprah probably should have won that year. But in Color Purple, I think got 11 Oscar nods and didn't win any of them, kind of like the turning point from a few years before that. And... Uh, I, I think there are lots of interesting stories behind the scenes, how kind of Quincy Jones pressured Spielberg apparently into making this film because Spielberg, he's like, I don't know anything about uh, the Southern black experience or a black woman's experience in that environment. And Quincy's like, yeah, but you're not an alien. And he did E.T. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some truth to that. And he brought a lot of prestige to a film uh, because of his stature at the time. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's an excellent film. It's just, 
one of many. It's like I, I don't want to rewatch Schindler's List anytime soon, but. <laughs> and since people keep asking since the the new, our, our review for the new film is up, but it's obviously on hold until like two, three weeks from now. Yeah, because it comes out Christmas Day. Uh, but I mean, do we want to say what we thought about it? I think we both really liked it, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier to watch, I, I think, just because of the mechanism of music and what music, what a musical can do, it it softens the blows. If anyone has seen a, a, a theater production of the musical, um, it, it is that. So it's a, yeah. very, so it's a different, it's a slightly different story. It's more hopeful mm-hmm. specifically for Seeley. Um, and then, like you said, the musicality softens a lot of the trauma. And then I don't, well, Danny it, Glover in the, 1985 film is much more villainous. Well, you know, rewatching them back to back, it's a lot harder to understand him in the Spielberg film. Sure. Um, I think maybe not even until the dinner sequence at the end where we see him diminished in, in front of his own father. Whereas Coleman Domingo in the remake, there's, there's a lot more use of comedy. I, I think like slight comedy, but we're also able to see him at Mr. as more of a, uh, a person Yeah, as well. Like I can understand why he's behaving the way he is a, a little more, but even though it's still reprehensible moving on, you watch the fourth floor. I, I might've seen this back in 1999 or probably early 2000. Cause it was a direct to DV direct, direct to VHS release at that time starring Juliette Lewis and William Hurt and Shelley Duvall. Um, uh, Juliette Lewis inherits this beautiful uh, rent controlled apartment in Manhattan when her aunt dies and she goes to move in and starts to be terrorized by some cuckoo that's in the floor, the fourth floor below her. <laughs> and it's not very good, but I do really like Juliette Lewis and it's fun seeing Shelley Duvall as a, a <laughs> weirdo New Yorker. You're preparing your worst of list for Spin Magazine. Yes. So you decided to watch The Nun 2. Yeah, because I'd missed that. We have a review for it, but it's just me talking about it. Uh, I don't even remember this... the movie or what I said about it. I know I there, there, there's no way I liked it. And then as you were watching it, I was in the room for some of it. Mm-hmm. And then it hit me like, this shit is so dumb. It's so... Bo- well, not only that, it's fucking boring well you kept saying it's boring and then and then i remembered oh that was my issue with the film why won't they give us more of the character we want which is the nun like why couldn't and the, or the handsome french guy don't nobody want to see vera farmiga's sister as this old boring ass nun like give us the handsome french guy against the creepy nun that handsome french guy was isabella Pearson and l yeah i don't know why and and it would have been perfect because he's possessed by the nun. So why couldn't the movie have been about this man trying to fight this demon with, like within him? The the demon has taken on the most blasphemous form of a nun. Uh, and then it's set in what nineteen fifty six, France. Uh, oh, and then the black lady. There's a little black girl that's there whose parents sent her there in the fifties. Okay, I need more. I know that in itself could be a movie, right? Like, like this southern. Uh, this black family in the South during Jim Crow send their daughter to Italy <laughs> to, to, to France or to France. Sorry to uh, to be a nun. To be a nun, like 
because that's better, I guess. This would be a different version. What, uh, like, that, like that, what was the racial climate that's in the, France in the 50s? Like, well, did I mean, people treat her well there? I don't know. They didn't like Algerians. I don't know. The, the movie, it feels boring. I mean, it's shot well. That's the version of Black Narcissus to remake. Oh, you put on Be Kind Rewind? I Why? Because I haven't seen it since the opening weekend, uh, February of 2008, and you have never seen it. I didn't know anything about this movie except that Sigourney Weaver's in it. Bri- and Briefly. And that you went with a bunch of friends to see it, and one of the people in the group <laughs> had said oh i didn't like did anyone else not realize this was an urban film yeah and i was so <laughs> irritated like th- one i don't believe this is an urban film but... i didn't get the sense it was an urban film but it's like there the, are black people in the movie this but... stupid little white girl she was also the sister of a friend and i couldn't i cannot tell you how much i couldn't stand this girl's ass and i was so irritated my friend brought her this happened this was february of 08 and there were two sigourney weaver movies opening on the same day it was this and vantage point so you know that was hard for me to work through all of that in such a short time period. But I took two groups of people to both of those movies. Um, Be Kind of Rewind is a better film. Uh, it wasn't well-reviewed at the time. It's directed by Michelle Gondry. He was coming off of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and then The Science of Sleep. I didn't really... I could rewatch The Science of Sleep. I didn't... I remember not liking it. Um, but it's it's a sweet film. It it made me feel nostalgic for, you know, when most Def was kind of shaping up to be a, a pretty good leading man. Uh, Danny Glover also in this and who has a kind of a sweet romance with Mia Farrow. Jack and Black, you mentioned. Jack right Black now. is entertaining. And it's about a group. Of, Danny Glover owns a video store, a VHS video store that's about to really go out of business. And for various uh, things happen that erase the, the all the VHS the tape all of the tapes are erased and people are trying to rent movies so jack black and most deaf decides to decide to swede the films which is film their own versions of them beginning with ghostbusters so the bulk of the film is this little troop of video store people recreating all these famous movies right which is cute it's cute oh melanie diaz is so cute but sigourney weaver pops in because you know uh back in the day all the vhs cassettes would start with like the pirating warning yeah like it's a federal the copyright crime. laws yeah so Sigourney Weaver pops up one day with her compadres. She's a federal agent and she's like, yep, y'all, y'all violated. So you have to pay like an outrageous amount of fines and the jail time could be up to like something funny, like 6,300 years or uh-huh. <laughs> but that's her brief cameo in it. And brings in a bulldozer to <laughs> destroy. Which reminds me of like when two live crew or like when the explicit lyric warnings were on. Yeah. And then how all these conservatives would have all these records uh, bulldozed over. Uh-huh. Well, steamrolled. Whatever. And then she's like, Oh, you, you need to go over it one more time. She's cute. In it. She's cute. And I think it's a funny uh, homage one because they sweet ghostbusters and uh, also having her and Mia Farrow in the same film. I find uh, lovely, even though they share no scenes. It It's a sweet film. And I really like how, where it, leads to for some reason you put on the movie the rookie and just from the movie poster you know it's gonna be some bullshit it's charlie sheen and clint eastwood (laughs) 1990 clint eastwood directed we i had made you watch the because it was on it's about to leave max and i i I knew i did never wanted to pay to rent this movie so i'm like let me watch this before it leaves max 
And mostly because we watched the preview and in the supporting roles, there's Sonia Braga and Raul Julia. And I, I love Sonia Braga. And this is a film I've never seen. So I put that this is, this is outrageous. This film is fucking outrageous. Um, it, it's, it's that good cop, bad cop, cop kind of dynamic with Clint. So lots to be expected. Uh, and it's about these, these, I think there's there's still an illegal arms ring or whatever whatever nonsense is going on in the background. He has to bust this group of people, but it opens with Clint's partner dying in a car chase with the with the baddies. So he wants vengeance, and then he's paired immediately with Charlie Sheen. I had no idea that Sonia Braga, who's Brazilian, and Raul Julia, who I believe is Puerto Rican, are playing Germans. <laughs> Their names are Liesel and Strom, and Raul Julia is even doing like a German accent. It, it, why? Why didn't they just retool the script at the last minute? I like you want to cast these wonderful people, so fucking <laughs> take all the German shit out. You have Raul Julia calling Clint Eastwood a Polak on more than one occasion in this film, and there is a there is a rape scene. Clint Eastwood is raped. Clint Eastwood is raped by Sonia Braga in this movie who has him tied to a chair because he's held hostage and says, I cut off things that are no good to me. Basically, like, if you can't get an erection, I'm going to Lorena Bobbitt your ass. And <laughs> it's God. so dumb. It's. I was in and out of this movie. There is a scene where Charlie Sheen and Clint Eastwood jump into an SL Mercedes on, like, they're on like maybe in a like a warehouse on the top floor yes and a bomb goes off so the car flies out a window with this you know fire behind it, it looks so crazy that's propelling it seemingly through the air the uh, the movie looks like a joke it, it it looks like one of those trailers you find another movie like yeah. as a joke anyway this next one's controversial because when this movie came out we received so many comments about are we going to review it? And then people mad that we didn't review it. And then like, and then it was around the time of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which we both really that liked. We both thought was excellent that we got more nasty comments about, well, if you well, like, why would you watch this and not watch Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? So you decided to put that movie on. Yeah. Well, and, it's the end of the year. I need, I need to see it for and you voting didn't purposes. Love it. <laughs> I didn't love, I didn't hate it. I felt very much the way I felt about the first one um, is that I, I probably like the animation more than you do, but I'm, I think I'm just multiverse fatigued with Marvel at least because it's feel, this feels like the song that never ends. I do like the lead character. I think he is sweet and I, I, I'm there are interesting elements of the story to me in that he is an, an anomaly. He was bitten by accident. And so that has caused this dangerous ripple effect, but the uh, Miguel, whatever play uh, voiced by Oscar Isaac, I did. I didn't like a lot of the dialogue. It Marvel. A lot of Marvel films do this, have these jokey, self-referential asides, which I, I really don't care for. Well, I was in and out of this one. I hated how the film looked. It it looked like it was in, when a film is in like old school, like 80s movies that are in 3D, but you don't have the glasses. Mm -hmm. So it looks kind of like altered. That's how that movie or this movie looked to me. And then I agree, like 
because I caught the scene where he's saying like he's not even supposed to be a Spider-Man, but in his universe he was bit. I'm just like y'all just finding any way to make another movie about this character. And it just feels forced to me. I also didn't like that little girlfriend of his. I don't. Voiced by, what's her name? Uh, Greta. I found her grating. There's even a scene where she's talking to Spider-Man's parents. When? And she's referring to them like by their first name, like they're all friends. And the parents are kind of like, uh, no, my name is Captain blah, 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 or whatever, Mm -hmm. Lieutenant. I found that annoying. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old for cartoon superhero movies you know i mean i'm a middle-aged man so i don't think that it seems unreasonable that i would think it's not for me i i I think anime is its own art form and i do i do like some anime but i I, i'm tired of superheroes i'm tired of marvel uh if spin does publish my top 10 list there are a couple marvel films on there uh i again i you mean oh top 10 worst yeah top 10 worst films uh um, 10 worst yeah (laughs) But I don't know. There's also, and this happens with any film, like with a lot of people that reached out to me last year about by the time they saw everything everywhere all at once, they were, they didn't, they didn't like it because it was overhyped by the time they saw it. And, and maybe, maybe I would have felt, because I was expecting the way that people were acting about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I mean, on Letterboxd, uh, there's a, a, a list of the hot, most highly rated film black films. I think this is number one over Spike Lee overdo the right thing. Nah, no, no, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> so I am not a, what, what's the word? Um, when, when you naysay everything, uh, my, my brain, contrarian? Is, I'm not a, an automatic contrarian, uh, just because the tidal wave of the masses believe something is good. I'm not going to automatically stand in opposition, but I was in the middle of the road on this. I gave it a three. I think it's just fine. But I also think I'm not the intended audience for it because all the little Easter eggs planted in every single one of these movies, I really could care less. Okay, we need to move on. You watched something called Freak Orlando? I have been wanting to watch this forever. Uh, and thanks to that lovely film site, I found uh, Rare Film. Uh, I finally found a, a decent copy of this with English subtitles, but it is uh, probably the most infamous film by new German wave director Ulrike Ottinger, whose films are notoriously hard to find. Um and she kind of has this punk lesbian aesthetic about her work. But this one stars Magdalena Montezuma, uh, who's also great in Werner Schrader's The Rose King, and the wonderful French actress Delphine Sirig. And it is where it, it, it doesn't ever reference Virginia Woolf's text, uh, Orlando, but is clear, very clearly with Magdalena Montezuma playing. Uh, various versions of a gender-bending character named Orlando across centuries, clearly a, a version of this. And this arrived before Sally Potter did the classical version. But it's we're told it's a, a film, a, a theater of the world in five episodes. I'm not really sure where these episodes begin and end all the time, except for when Montezuma changes costume. But it is a visual feast that is reminiscent of both Derek Jarman and I thought quite a bit of uh, it reminded me of the trash garbage city that John Waters has uh, desperate living set in um, the director of someone like after blue, um, whose name I'm forgetting the, that Frenchman, we reviewed it where they're on that lesbian planet and they're hunting someone named Kate Bush. 
Mm, yes. He very, I I I'm, would bet money that he uh, is influenced by Ulrika Ottinger. And I wish I'd seen this before my review on that, because this is definitely uh, a reference point. But uh, it shows uh, Montezuma as Orlando walking into under the neon lights of something called Freak City right after she's sucked on Delphine's breast as who's lodged in the ground as some kind of strange mother nature figure. Uh <laughs> It is visually very fun, but in a lot of ways felt nonsensical. But it, it's a film to probably parse through again more than once. You watched Volcano? Uh, also a rare film that I had not. I've always wanted to see. It stars uh, Anna Magnani, uh, directed by William Dieterle, who's, who's probably best known for The Life of Emile Zola, which I think won Best Picture. Uh, and... Anna Magnani stars as this prostitute who gets sent back to this island that she's from called Volcano because there's an active volcano on it. And all these local bitches, of course, are there ready to hate on her. Uh, her sister is there. It just so happens that at the t- and she, she's told by the authorities that you're going you're basically it's prison. You can never leave this island. And everybody knows. And she's sent along with a note announcing why she's there. So everybody knows that she's this hoe. Cool. <laughs> and you know i love anna magnani and she is ready to give it to these bitches uh but her s- younger sister who i think is played by geraldine brooks is there and geraldine meets a man that is actually a sex trafficker but he seduces her so anna magnani like sleeps with him and it's like look like this man is not this man does not want to marry you he wants he has uh, wicked designs on you and her sister won't believe her it just so happens that both sisters were helping him deep sea dive for sponges uh and so anna but he you know this is 1950s so they have to uh, feed him oxygen while he's down there so anna Maniani kills this man so he doesn't uh, sex traffic her sister. And then after she does that, she goes to the top of the active volcano and kills herself. Mm. <laughs> so it's dramatic. Uh, I like. I think it's funny that it came out in 1950 because I, I believe Magnani was uh, in a relationship with Roberto Rossellini and he left her to carry on his affair with the very married Ingrid Bergman, which is a scandal, you know. Uh, and that's where Isabella and her twin sister came from. But Roberto Rossellini directed this very same year a very similar film starring Ingrid Bergman called Stromboli. Lastly, we watched Godzilla. The 1998 version directed by Roland Emmerich starring Matthew Broderick. I didn't care for this movie. This was Kaka. The special effects are not the best, especially like, you know, Jurassic Park had come out five years prior. Yeah. Uh, so that it's like I, I think we were already calibrated to that and yep. then, like then you get this movie that's um, not as well done and then the thing that really sent me because I like Matthew Broderick I think he's cute and I don't know that he fits the like, parent, they, apparently Emmerich crafted this role for him which I don't get well I don't know I mean, maybe he was trying to offer another gay man a leading role I well I think we're, yeah because Emmerich is gay <laughs> that that's what it seems like because uh, I don't know that Matthew Broderick's the gay. three supporting women in this are they to me they feel like non-entities and at least two of them have to talk about how handsome Matthew Broderick is it I, I think he was cute in it, but it did seem odd to have him lead this sort of like blockbuster action creature feature. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that bothered me is Godzilla is a big iguana. 
which uh-huh. makes it look like Jurassic Park, and the movie feels like a like. I mean, what are one of the shitty sequels like four? Or three, because then we watch some of the Jurassic, the, the Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah, one uh, of them is like, I mean, the newer ones I don't care for. Well, there's Spielberg did the Lost World after, and then there's the Jurassic Park three. Oh, you mean the new one, Jurassic World? Whatever. With it, uh, it, Chris, it feels like a shitty in, installment of Jurassic Park with bad CGI, and but but it has the vibe of a Jurassic Park. Well, in in Aliens, by the time we get to the fact that Godzilla has laid eggs in Madison Square Garden, Ugh, and all it, those eggs start to hatch, it's it's just a weird approach to a very familiar character, and I think we all have an impression of what Godzilla sounds like, looks like. And even like the newer adaptations still, even though I didn't care for them, like Godzilla has a very particular look. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this thing just looks like a big old iguana running around. And and then even like the babies kind of look like alien, like the but they xenomorph. Look, they look well, or velociraptors running or velociraptor. around. Velociraptor. Like it's just such a weird choice. But I yeah. yeah, I did I remember seeing this in nineteen ninety eight and not caring for it, but here Moving on. Uh, unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Frances Sternhagen? Yeah. Who's that? Oh, she's an old lady character actress. Um, well, with your memory, you probably don't remember. But uh, I, I think people probably recognize her most immediately as the wife of Richard Farnsworth in Misery. Remember, he played the sheriff. Okay. And they kind of have a fun little combative <laughs> energy about them. She's also in another Stephen King uh, adaptation the golden years, which I could rewatch that. Oh, but you've, you've seen her around. She, I think she was 93. Henry Kissinger died. I did. I thought he was dead. <laughs> I would have assumed he was dead. Cause he How, was a hundred, right? Oh, but I, I don't know much about him except that he was a secretary oh. of state for more than one administration. Uh-huh. Uh, but most infamously for Nixon, uh and leave schreiber just played him this past year in golda and it made me wonder i wonder how so, so he's been around 100 years and uh so i wonder if he watched all these portrayals of himself mm. <laughs> and what he thought of them and then sandra day o'connor died first woman on the supreme court yes she was 89 somewhere around there bye girl anyway let's take another break the secret film this week was your choice and you chose the 1940 American Christmas romantic comedy trial film, <laughs> Remember the Night. Mm-hmm. These Wikipedia descriptions of films are out of control. It stars Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Yep. It's directed by... Mitchell Leeson. And written by Preston Sturgis. The great Preston Sturgis. You have a story about him, which we can get to. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose this film? Well, I'm a huge Barbara Stanwyck stan. Uh, and uh, You're a stan... Wick. I'm a Stan. I'm a Stan. Stan. A Stanwick. A, Stan, a Stanwick Stan. I'm a Stanwick Stan. I'm Stanwick man. Uh, and I want to. Well, also, I've never seen this film, and it's Christmas, so it felt like the perfect storm to uh, select this because I think that watching classic Christmas films outside of Christmas feels depressing to me, uh, and not that I love Christmas. It just. It's not like Halloween where I, I watch scary movies all year round, but I'm not watching Christmas movies in July. I just, you know, it has to be a strange situation. Uh, so it felt like this is the tis the season, as they say. Okay, the premise of Remember the Night. 
Love blooms between a sympathetic attorney and the comely shoplifter he has taken home for the Christmas holiday. Did you like this movie? I thought it was sweet. Um, yeah. I think it's a good movie. This movie falls in the category of, for me, having a hard time watching movies set during a certain time period where Black American people were treated worse than they are today. And I can usually deal with it if there are no Black characters in the film. However, there is a Black character in this film who is poorly treated. So that really taints my impression of everyone else in it, like well, the other characters. Poorly tainted by the lead the leading man and specifically uh fred's character is um treats his i, I guess you'd call him his like valet yeah. like butler poorly uh, a character uh named rufus who's played by an actor referred to as snowflake but yeah anyway the story is that barbara stanwick the comely shoplifter <laughs> she gets caught stealing some jewelry and goes to trial well she she we it opens with her stealing it and she runs into a pawn shop to sell it <laughs> right so she's on trial and her lawyer is doing way too much which which we can talk about but the um the prosecutor fred mcmurray he's like well i'm gonna teach this defense attorney a lesson because the defense attorney is trying to claim that she had like like schizophrenia induced hypnotism that caused her to steal this shit <laughs> and it's her third time being caught but it's her yeah <laughs> but, the, but she's not uh new to this so fred mcmurray's like oh uh a medical condition huh okay well then we need a state uh supplied expert to testify against that so we can't really proceed with the trial and it's important to know that her court like this trial is happening like right before christmas yeah so the judge is like yeah i agree we need expert testimony so we'll reconvene january 3rd so take this bitch to the clink mm -hmm. so now barbara stanwick is in jail for like chris for like two weeks until um they can restart the trial but fred mcmurray's character feels bad so he knows a bail bondsman and says hey can you get her out but the bail bondsman's kind of a creep mm -hmm. so he assumes that what fred mcmurray's trying to do is bail barbara stanwick out so he can like have you, have her have his way with her so he delivers her so the bail bondsman delivers barbara stanwick to fred mcmurray's house as he's getting ready to go spend to drive to Indiana. To drive to Indiana. They're currently in New York. To drive to Indiana to visit his family. So he doesn't know what to do with her. And she's like, well, you got me out and you have to take care of me because I have nowhere to go. I'm homeless. And if I would have stayed in jail, I'd have a warm place to sleep and three hot meals a day. And by the way, Barbara does not look homeless. Uh, she's uh, outfitted in some great Edith Head costumes. Well, she's homeless because she's been staying in a hotel and hasn't been paying her bill. So she got evicted. He goes, how much do I owe? How much do you owe? Like he's just going to pull money out of his pocket. And it's, you know, this is 1940. So it's like $126, but that, that's like a $2,000 hotel bill. More than that. I mean, yeah. it's a lot. <laughs> but anyway, he's like, okay, well, you can come with me. And then he discovers that she's also from Indiana. So he says, great, I'll drop you off at your family's home. And then after the holidays, I'll pick you up and then take you back to court. So they get to her mom's house and the mom is like, get this raggedy thieving bitch out of my house. She ain't shit, ain't ever gonna be shit, wasn't shit. Like I want nothing to do with her. So of course now Fred feels even more bad for her. So he says, well, you can spend the holidays with my family. 
and his family they are much nicer yeah they it, are self-described hicks but they're very proud of fred and the family consists of the mom the aunt and then some kid named willie who i didn't get a sense if he's like fred's brother or no he's not he's like the farm hand but he's like the sort of like he has some sort of developmental cognitive delay he's an odd little bird yeah he reminded me of barry keoghan in the banshees of inishirin oh sure that's a good reference it's that that's actually he's played by sterling holloway who famously was the voice of winnie the pooh hmm. so the film like the third act is basically like the mom and the aunt recognizing that like these two love each other mm-hmm. but when they first got to Fred's mom's house, Fred tells his mom, I need you to know. Since she's in your house. Since she's in your house, I need you to know that this lady is not my girlfriend. She's not my friend. I don't have any romantic intentions with her. She's a criminal, and I'm just housing her until I can take her back. I and mean, I'm going to put her in jail in two weeks. But the mom is so sure that this girl is right for him. So they they sort of spend, the like the mom and the aunt spend that two-week period trying to like get them to be together but then in the very end the mom has this talk with barbara stanwick basically you and i interpreted different you and i interpreted that scene differently which we can talk about but from that scene where the mom has a talk with barbara stanwick barbara stanwick decides that she's not going to pursue a relationship with fred even though they say they love each other at this point because she feels like she needs to do the right thing do the right thing get her life right and she needs to suffer the consequences of her actions so the end of the movie is the court trial they go back to court and it's we we can talk more about it but it's obvious fred is trying to like make it so that the jury would acquit her and then all of a sudden barbara stanwick says i'm guilty just send me to jail so she goes to jail and of course fred's upset and he says, well, let's get married right now. I'll grab the judge and he can marry us in the jail cell. And she says, no, why don't we let me serve my time, whatever that time will be, because she hasn't been sentenced yet. And if you're still around when I get out of jail, then we know that this was meant to be the end. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's a very simple story. It, it is. It kind of feels like, you know, bringing a baby was the year before. 38. This is not, I mean, bringing a baby is like, almost a perfect film and yeah. it's such a great comedy this movie is it has funny moments but to me it's just more of like a sort of a feel-good film that happens to be around the christmas time season yes barbara stanwick is the best part of it oh yeah i agree let me just go through my notes so barbara's attorney he is putting on a show and it's oh he's trying to razzle dazzle him yeah and i actually thought that was really well done mm-hmm. <laughs> But he's basically saying that she suffers from a loss of will and consciousness. As poor people often do when they're confronted with uh, expensive trinkets. Which is sometimes known as schizophrenia, (laughs) which he then says is also known as hypnotism. So he is just on his bullshit. He acts the situation out. And he, that was funny. And then the way Barbara and Fred are looking at him. Because even Barbara's looking at him like, damn, like you, 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 like you're making me believe this bullshit. Like, <laughs> and then Fred's looking at him like, this man is such a joke. So I didn't recognize Fred McMurray, but I think he looks like 
you know, there's like the newer episodes of Intervention and there's one in Vegas with this gay kid named Jake. I thought Fred McMurray looked like Jake mixed with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> you have seen Fred McMurray in films before because you have straight up watched Double Indemnity starring both of these people. I uh, do not remember him. And I remember you making the same kind of comments about him then. Really? But oh. <laughs> this was this was the first of four pairings between these two people. Oh. Um and uh, God, Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity is a perfect film. Uh, but I also really like they did a film in the 50s with Douglas Sirk called There's Always Tomorrow, which is very in the same vein of All That Heaven Allows. Uh, but if you like either of them, I highly recommend that film. So Fred has this valet slash butler named Rufus mm -hmm. who he talks to like he's a piece of shit. He's I, calling him a dummy or a, I, he calls him a dumbbell, a dumbbell. And he's annoyed by him. And then the way they have this man playing Rufus, like, you know, like, like a, it's just an offensive portrayal of biopic. Like, like it it's is. extra than what it should be. It is. Yeah. People did speak that way, but I feel like they are really, it, it just kind of bothered me, but well, you know, especially compared to this is our second pod on a Stanwick film compared to like uh, her relationship and baby face to with her black. Her, uh, well, I, guess, I, mean, I would say it was her friend. It was her friend. Yeah. The other problem, too, is then like so Fred's family, these self-proclaimed hicks who live in Indiana, it's like, you know, they had really negative opinions of black people. So then it's kind of hard to see them as like sweet people. Yeah. And I have to assume that because of the time, the place, and then also their son doesn't respect black people. So why would we think his mom or his aunt do? Right. So that is always kind of, but whatever, Mo moving past that, I guess. Um, so, well, I'll no, I, we don't have to glide over that. I, I just, no, but I mean, it, you, like, you just have to accept it. Like it, like it is what it is. Like movies that were made during this time with these kind of stories, like you're going to, you're going to see, you're going to be confronted with who are portrayed in a way that shows that racism is real and i guess if you're me it's just hard to look at those white characters with any sort of yeah reverence or compassion or so then it's like well to hell with throw her thieving ass in jail <laughs> and like fred mcmurray i mean he seems like the kind of uh, uh district attorney who would like not think twice about throwing a black man in jail for the rest of his life but then he but then this pretty white lady he feels bad for and he used the personal favor to bail her out of jail he wouldn't have done that to some poor black lady who was caught trying to steal food for her children he so sure, he sure that's would. where my mind goes. yeah yeah that's yeah it, it, and it casts a dark shadow over this supposed romance that's too, what i'm saying you know about yeah. like maybe you know barbara stanwick has done some things in her life this character lee leander it's like he might put you in a little box you don't want to be in too but so when they leave to make their way to Indiana, they stop in, I think it's Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and they, they get lost in I like think a field road they, construction. There's road construction. There's a detour. They get lost in a field. They break a fence and then they end up having to spend the night in this field. So when they wake up, they realize they're in like a dairy farm. Mm -hmm. So there are all these cows surrounding them. And so they're like, well, let's milk let, the cow. Let's milk a cow for some milk. And all I could think of is the last thing I want is some warm milk from like straight from the cow's titty. Ugh. Well, yeah. Once you once you see the source, it's like, yeah, that's what we do. Ooh, no, that's I what mean, we do. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure people have opinions on pasteurization, but at least it needs to be cold. Uh, it can't be body temperature. 
milk that just came straight from the titty? You, no. you just took this cow's baby's milk. No, uh. But milking the cow scene was funny. And then all of a sudden, the man who owns the land shows up with a gun. And then it turns into the movie's uh, Nothing But Trouble. Because, well, yeah, it's like Vulcanvania. <laughs> because he's like, citizen's arrest. You're trespassing. You damaged my property because you broke that fence. And you're stealing my milk. So I'm taking you down to the Justice of the Peace. And he has and a rifle. the Justice of the Peace is like Dan Aykroyd and Nothing But yeah. Trouble. He's like, I don't care. Y'all, you, you city folk come out here. And I wonder if the person who wrote Nothing But Trouble was inspired by this movie. Oh, Dan Aykroyd. But, oh, Dan Aykroyd wrote it? Yeah, he directed oh, that. Which is a great movie. But, uh, so this Justice of the Peace is like going to throw the book at their asses when Barbara Stanwyck, who we already know is like a shifty criminal, she lights a wastebasket on fire, mm-hmm. which distracts these people, and then they escape. But before that, she's she's like, look, just give him, give him a fake name. And oh yeah she's like and she's like yeah i always do don't worry but it's just like god back then you could get away juicy small yay would have gotten away with all kinds of stuff if that was <laughs> but barbara stanwick has a mouth on her because she's arguing with this oh, guy she calls, she him, calls him you fresh hick like <laughs> um barbara stanwick is beautiful i think she she i was reminded of the lady from eileen thomas and mckenzie and the drag queen Dee delicious sure from the most who, recent season of uh drag race uk <laughs> well yeah who a drag queen who paints herself kind of like a classic pinup from the 30s 40s but yes uh but yeah i love barbara stanwick and i think she's so sweet and cute barbara stanwick's mom the minute she sees her like on site is like I don't want anything to do with this lady. And, she, and when she walk, and when she kicks her out of her house, she says like "good riddance to bad rubbish." Like oh, that—that's Georgia Kane. Uh, so I believe, I guess um, that scene was actually filmed with Marjorie Maine playing the mother. And you've seen Marjorie Maine; she kind of has a very broad Southern drawl, and she's usually kind of a hick caricature. I saw that that they had to recast it because she was playing it a little too hicky. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. But so it's after that scene that. Fred feels really bad and he says, okay, you can come to my family's house, but just be warned. Like they're simple people It's not going to, you know, the mattress is just filled with rocks and there's a portrait of my grandfather who's cross-eyed. And then we see the portrait and that man is very Mm cross-eyed. I thought that was very funny. Which apparently that portrait's used in ball of fire starring Stanwyck as well. Oh, so this young man who lives with the mom and the aunt named Willie, who you said did the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. He, he's special. There's a moment. Cause immediately the mom and the aunt are like, okay, Fred, you're going to play the piano and sing. And then he starts singing. And then Willie says, well, I can sing. I want to sing a song. And Barbara Stanwyck's like, yeah, yeah, I, I can play the piano. I used to play in the 10 cent store. And Willie starts singing. And it reminded me of Susan Boyle. <laughs> Oh my god! Because he sounds pretty nice. He does sound nice. He sounds different than what he looks like. But when he volunteers to get up and sing, they're like, "Willie, everybody knows that damn song." Like they're so rude to him. Well, I, I think they're embarrassed because they think, "Oh, Fred's so fancy, and he brought this fancy lady." Yeah. And now, and now we got this old crazy ass Willie singing a song. But he was cute in a creepy way because he also seems to be like he's real grabby with the ladies yeah so it's creepy but oh yeah there's a scene at the new year's party where he, a very he tries t- to kiss some lady uh, and she runs like a very tall and he ends up with a very tall woman a very tall strong woman because she picks him up and carries him like a baby yeah okay uh when fred is telling his mom you know barbara's a crook 
And then the mom is doing that thing that I feel like a lot of moms do. Yep. My mom does it. Yeah. Where it's like, they just want to be positive. Mm -hmm. Like, like, oh no, it'll be great. You're great. They're great. I can tell. And it's like, no, bitch. You know, like literally she is, uh, she should be in jail right she's now. She's like, I can tell she's a good woman. It's like, actually. Yeah. I thought, like, it was kind of frustrating. Like, the the inability to want to believe the worst in people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the, the mom and the aunt are spending a lot of time trying. Like, the aunt makes some popovers, like, for breakfast. Yeah. And tries to tell Fred that Barbara made them. Mm-hmm. And then Barbara tells Fred, I didn't make these. Your she, aunt. She told me to say that. Told me to say because she thinks I need to convince you. She thinks you're in love with me. Because she thinks you're in love and with me. And he laughed. And she's like, yeah, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? She gets mad. So then it's obvious that she kind of would like that. Mm -hmm. And then we see the aunt put, because they're going to some like New Year's Eve dance. They're going to a barn dance. Which automatically I would run away screaming from. But, but of course, Barbara didn't have like outfits to wear. So although she looks fabulous every time we see her, but the aunt puts on her like wedding dress. It's not a wedding. She, <laughs> she takes out two dusty old boxes that are wrapped up and it. That's actually a sad little moment because it, one of them is a wedding dress and she opens that and there's a stack of letters and Barbara's Aunt Emma played by Elizabeth Patterson. She's like, Oh, were you married? And she's like, Oh, I thought about it one summer. And just the way that she kind of handles that parcel of, old love letters and clearly she's a spinster that never got married is kind of touching yeah it is but so but what i was going to say is the aunt is putting the corset on barbara stanwick and she is so tiny barbara Stan what does she say her waist size is like 24 and then the aunt goes oh back in my day we had to be a 19 yeah like oh my god it is like violet tchotchke how she is bound it's up alarming to see how small her abdomen looks in the corset uh, because like you all know, her organs are just pushed up oh yeah <laughs> because apparently you know by the time she did um the lady eve she was considered too thin and that wasn't really a, a, a beauty marker so they were trying to hide parts of her body sometimes because anyway. so the the scene we were confused or that we didn't have the same opinion of is when so after the dance fred invites barbara to his room to have a cigarette which means that they, you know, they, they might Canoodle. take it to the next step. Mm -hmm. But right before that is going to happen, the mom walks in and she's talking to Barbara, basically saying like, you need to know my son worked really hard to get to where he is. And I don't want you to ruin that. Mm -hmm. You took that to mean that she doesn't think she's good enough. Yeah. I, I took it to mean that she's just saying like don't toy with his heart like think, he doesn't deserve to be heartbroken i think it's it could be both i i did see it as like you know you're gonna stall his career or ruin him the reason i don't think that the mom doesn't think she's good enough is because fred told his mom day one that this bitch is a criminal and then the mom still spent the entire two weeks trying to set them up so I, 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 well, I, it's more the aunt. I, I saw it as because the. Oh, well, true. It is more the aunt. But the mom also doesn't tell the aunt because the mom doesn't tell the aunt till the very end. Like, well, I didn't tell you this. But, yeah. You know, Barbara's like a criminal. And mom is played by Beulah Bondi, who's in a much more famous Christmas movie as Mrs. Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. But the mom's telling Barbara, like, you know, I know you have feelings for him. And she's like, how do you know? Well, he kissed you tonight. Or like, I know he likes you because he kissed you tonight. And Barbara goes, well, I'm not exactly ugly. <laughs> yeah. 
I love how she looks in that scene. She's brushing her hair. She's just, yeah, at her most beautiful. Okay, so the courtroom scene at the end, we see, so right away we see that the judge is talking to Fred's boss. And he's like, I'm telling you, I was at this cafe and I saw Fred dancing with Barbara, which is highly inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And Fred's boss is like, no, I've known him forever. He would never do something like that. You're an old man. You don't know what you saw. Yeah. And the judge is like, I know what I saw. And we'll see how he treats her in the courtroom because the judge is afraid that Fred's going to throw the case so that she can get off. Mm -hmm. But we learn earlier in the film, like when they first go on their road trip, that Fred tells her, oh, dealing with juries, you have to be very careful when it comes to women because juries don't like to put women in jail Mm -hmm. and they don't like when men are aggressive with women especially other men uh, other male jurors specific yeah specifically male jurors don't like when men are rough with female um defendants so we think he's going to go out there and be like like just throw the case but instead he rails into her Mm -hmm. like hard to the point where she's almost in tears and you can hear the jurors saying like god he's being such a dick and then he turns on the jurors like the jur the jurors are gabbing and then he keeps like yeah turning on the jurors like th- like sh- telling the judge to shut them up so clearly what he's trying to do is make the jury not like him so mm-hmm. they will acquit barbara yeah but then at the 11th hour barbara goes stop stop i'm guilty i want to plead guilty i want and then so then everyone's confused and the judge is like okay well who am i to say you're not guilty <laughs> even though i'm the judge so throw her ass in jail with sentencing in a week but um yeah that i i think the story is very simple but sweet it is and in a so sturges who started out as a screenwriter before he became a very you know that that he is an iconic director um this was the last script he wrote for leeson and he was so upset at the cuts made that he vowed to make his own films um and of course he got along with stanwick and uh that is he said he'd write a film for her and that became the lady eve and the lady eve is what uh that was released on criterion during the pandemic on blu-ray and i got to interview preston sturge's son that's right who actually that which was a very good interview and he gifted me uh an old check signed by his father yeah that's right um, I keep thinking about bringing a baby just because it's the same period and it's about like an odd couple and uh, like an adventure. And with some animals involved here and there. And this yeah. movie is not at that level on any, like in any respect. I also didn't like the way this film was shot. Okay. It, it just feels very like. Um, Cheap. Well, it, it just feels very like closed in. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't a lot of wide shots. We don't really see what's going on. It, it like everything's just very contained, and it's it's a fine enough movie. I, I I think it was a nice choice, and I was like, Barbara Stanwyck is definitely um, fun to watch on screen. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know there was I don't know how true it is, but apparently there was I've read in a couple places that she supposedly had an affair with Edith Head. The costume designer oh who who dressed her many times what would you give remember the night and i think i also need to note barbara did several christmas films um i've never seen meet john doe which is john cap or john frank capra and uh i have seen christmas in connecticut which is also pretty cute 
Uh, oh, and the director, Mitchell Leeson, who, you know, obviously somebody like Sturge has outshone him, but Leeson has some good stuff. Uh, I really like Easy Living. For, that was uh, a year or two prior to this, starring Gene Arthur and Ray Milan. I remember seeing that at, remember that theater in Minneapolis that was connected to that Mexican restaurant? Yes. I remember seeing that there with my friend Teddy, and it, it is a lovely screwball comedy. Uh, but he also worked with Barbara in a film I really like, a film noir called No Man of Her Own, in which she plays a pregnant woman on a ra- like in a railway accident, and uh, the woman she's pa- uh, traveling with dies, a stranger to her, and she assumes her identity. Because uh, she, as the title says, has no man of her own. And I think that was remade as uh, While You Were Sleeping. Or with Sandra Bullock, I, uh, like a lot of these film noirs were. Uh, I would give it three and a half. I would give Remember the Night three and a half out of five. Uh, there's a lot. Well, and, no, there there isn't a lot coming up this week, I don't think. And Snowflake, the, the actor playing Rufus, his actual name was Fred Toons. Okay. Um, but we, we've run out of time, oh. so... I'm going to stop the recording. Anything else? No. Bye.